0: Millennial Man Podcast, podcast PodcastReceedsing.com. I'm your host, Artie Kulik, and with me here is Jeopardy Runner Up. And I swore I heard this morning that she won 68 straight matches on the whatever, the Alexa thing. So maybe not Jeopardy Runner-Up, Jeopardy Super Champ, and knower of all things tennis, Tina. How are you today, Tina? I'm good. Okay, so we're a little bit late again. A lot of it's just due to hectic schedules and stuff like that. But part of it is I want to make sure that we are the last definitive voice on closing out the united states open tennis match thing championship tournament thingy yes, championship okay. tournament thingy played in new york flushing meadows uh, yep yeah it reminds me of the simpsons where sound every time, I, every time i think of flushing meadows i just think of a meadow with a bunch of toilets but
1: <sighs> do you have a flushing sound effect in your fancy soundboard
0: no i need to put one in if you want to hear the apple again, I can play that.
1: No. <laughs> so Hard path.
0: All right. I'm going to start with the men here, okay? And I'm going to tell you the truth, all right? And I know you're probably not going to agree with me. And Novak Djokovic is not a good human being. He's proven himself to not be the greatest human being over the last few years.
1: Yeah, there, there are criticisms to make. Now, he uh, has the just fact like that a,
0: his father is a...
1: Is pro-Russian. A, yeah, yeah, there's that. So there's that, and then there's the, the whole Vax status thing. I always think of him like Jordan, except I think Jordan was unpleasant to everybody. Djokovic seems to be pleasant yeah. to the people Michael around Jordan him. Michael
0: Jordan or his family ever backed uh, genocidal mania. There's no. that, right, so, yes, there yeah. is that. State of a, yes, I'll take a little offense <laughs> towards that. <laughs>
1: I Didn't Michael Jordan get his father killed?
0: No, he did not.
1: Oh, I thought you that was need the to whole watch thing. That.
0: No, that's... okay. That's part of the issue. Just random, terrible act of violence okay. that we ascribe to somebody that we just don't generally like.
1: Okay, that's fair. But I got to tell you, though, that Djokovic is growing on me these days.
0: Okay, see, this is where I'm having the problem, is that everybody's all of a sudden forgetting everything because he wins. It's the way we treated that's, Brett Favre.
1: That's not why I'm forgetting. Uh, okay. I'll tell you why I'm forgetting.
0: Okay. We all knew Brett Favre was a terrible human being. And it took the New York media to finally show it to all of us. And now, but it's to say he was a winner. It's sports. We don't care. All this other stuff. I just, I'm telling you, I'm telling you this now because I'm, look, he's going to win. And these other guys are not going to step up. And yes, we'll get into that. But it's, I'm just, look, we made this talk a lot of times. And I usually save this for the end, but I'll save it now. But The general public tennis coverage, so what the general public, not the super fans like you see, but the general public, they are one of the absolute worst when it comes to covering their sport. And it's all this John McEnroe hero worship BS that it frustrates me watching. Because yes, Djokovic is great, fine, all that other stuff, but part of his story is the bad parts of him. Sure. And that's, anyways. I
1: don't disagree with that. When I say I'm starting to enjoy him, I'm starting to just enjoy his on-court persona, we'll say. Put all the other stuff aside for now. And I agree that there's a lot of problematic things about it. But being the old man on tour, he's starting to—so when Roger and Rafa were around, they were such nice guys that Djokovic came up and was doing his impressions of other players. And I always thought they were funny, and I, I liked him. And then he started to try and he dialed a lot of that back. And you know that I hate the word authenticity, right? But when somebody is playing a part that they don't fit into, you can tell, right? And he's just letting that in-your-face arrogance fly now. And I am enjoying that. Elephant in the room, right? Djokovic won number 24, He's now four in front of Federer. He's two in front of Roger, or sorry, two in front of Rafa, four in front of Federer. And it's unlikely. Roger's retired. Rafa taken his victory lap next year. Theoretically, unlikely that he will pass Djokovic. So he's there now, and now he's just piling up wins. At this point, he was a match away from winning the calendar year slam again. We forget about it because he didn't win Wimbledon, so it was off the table by the time this tournament rolled around. But this is, I think, the third time now that he's done that, just (laughs) like Federer did it three times, being a match away. But I enjoy that he's letting his personality out, and that personality right now is F them, kids. I'm better than you, and I know it. This kind of leads me into a semifinal with with Ben Shelton. So Ben Shelton, the new hotness in American tennis, NCAA champ from Florida, dropped out of college. This is his first year on the tour. He's got a really odd record. He made the quarterfinals in Australia, proceeded to not win two consecutive matches on tour until the U.S. Open where he made the semifinals. I'm all for arrogance. I enjoy arrogance on the tour, but especially, but I need it to be earned arrogance, right? If Alcaraz is going to be a little bit arrogant, fine. Zverev is arrogant, not earned. Hol- objected, who I think is going to be very good, objected to playing his first match on court five and then proceeded to lose that first match. Again, if you're going to be arrogant, you have to have the goods to back it up. I feel the same way about Ben Shelton. Ben Shelton might be very good in a year or two. Win a 250. Win two consecutive matches on tour is what I'm saying. OK, he he might be very good in the future. He's got that very few guys can serve 149 miles an hour and almost none of the lefties can do it. He might be very good in the future. But when he beat Tiafo, he did this celebration where he made a gesture like he was hanging up the phone and which ap-
0: doesn't even make sense to me cuz he doesn't even know what that means. It's well, like there's it's that. like kids that see the floppy disk when they're saving something. They don't know what the hell that means.
1: But Anyways. anyway, so apparently I guess if you're in the know, this is a University of Florida thing, right? And he and Tiafo are friends, so it didn't Tiafo didn't seem to take offense at, at it. But if you're not in the know, which is most of us, it seems assy. So, he gets to a semi with Djokovic in the post-match press conference, refers to Djokovic as the number two player in the world, which again, he's not, and that not anymore. And then talks about how Novak Djokovic can, shows he can compete at the highest level, which I mean, (laughs) but during the match is doing things like yelling at, when Djokovic is double faulting, he's doing things like yelling, this guy doesn't have the serve at his box, out loud, audibly, He's taking those missed second serves and rifling them back at Djokovic's feet and fist-pumping after second serves. For people that don't know tennis, this is the tennis equivalent of a dude hitting a home run, staring at it as it clears the fence, making eye contact with the pitcher, and flipping the bat. It doesn't morally offend me. It's fine. But in those situations, we understand why the pitcher is head up, And in that situation, you understand why Djokovic is head up. And again, it doesn't morally offend me, but I've watched Djokovic enough to know that when you start getting under his skin, he uses that as fuel as a tactical maneuver. I think it's probably ill-advised. And Djokovic beat him in straight sets and then proceeded to do the phone hanging up gesture at him, which I love, right? I enjoy that level of aggro from both sides. What I don't like is Ben Shelton in his camp whining about how Djokovic was disrespectful to him afterwards, right? You're going to play with the big dogs. You're going to play with the big dogs. And if you're going to be arrogant about it, don't get butt hurt when the best player in the world puts you in your place.
0: I have a feeling we're going to do four of these podcasts next year and we will probably... I'd put the over under on mentioning Ben Shelton to 2.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: I mean, that that's Again, and that's part of it. He might
1: be very good in the future. He's not that good now. He has not earned that level of arrogance right now. But
0: that's this is where I think Part of my frustration is outside the fact that the coverage is nothing but fanboyism and, oh, don't look at what's happening here. Because, look, we all know how this story plays out. When you hear that Brett Favre is defrauding poor people, you're not shocked.
1: No, no. And
0: so in five or six years, if I hear something about Djokovic that's incredibly unsavory, I'm not going to be shocked.
1: No. No, that's fine. I'm and, talking about his on-court. Yeah, persona, so
0: getting back to which, on-court is, but this is where I think the frustration is. Look, at the end of the day, the only match that mattered was Djokovic against Alcaraz, and you didn't get it.
1: No, you didn't get it, and and that's true, and I think that took a little bit of the air out of the room, right? But that Alcaraz-Medvedev match was really good. Fine, but again, that's not you.
0: Everybody knew that Medvedev was going to get smoked.
1: But he beat him last time they played in a final Medvedev won.
0: Yeah. I are, are you Med- shocked? Are you shocked that it was
1: straight sets? I'm, I'm not, but yeah. I wouldn't have been shocked if it was five sets either, right? No, Medvedev not only has he beaten him in a US open, open final, he's beaten him in other hardcore finals, right? It's Medvedev can beat Djokovic. He's so he done is it the football. third best player. He's yeah, I've told people this yeah. all the time. Djokovic and Alcaraz are the two best players on the tour. Medvedev is third, and the margin between Medvedev and the fourth best player is pretty big.
0: Right. But he's not, it's not one and two. It's, no. we've seen this. You're right. Medvedev did win in a situation where all the pressure in the world was on Djokovic. And he, and Medvedev pulled it off, and sure. good for him. And he sure. should always yeah. get that. So, but where but, we are but now, here's the thing.
1: Medvedev came out against Alcaraz in the semifinal and beat him, right? He beat him. And considering what happened at Indian Wells, where Medvedev got curb stomped. And then what happened at Wimbledon, where Medvedev got curb stomped again to the degree, to the degree that I watched both of those matches and in both of them, I was embarrassed for him. And I remember going home to watch that match. And I told you, I just hope he tries something different. And he did. And he won, which shows an ability to adapt, which we'll talk about when we get to the women's final. No, I that's what Alcaraz and Djokovic are the two best players. Right? You're always going to want to see them in a final if you want an exciting final. They played, so they played that Wimbledon final, which was an epic. Alcaraz won. They The next time they played, the next time they both played in the same tournament was here in Cincinnati. Yeah.
0: yeah. They said probably and the greatest match in that tournament. They played tournament's in history. the <laughs> final
1: and it was four hours long and Djokovic barely eked it out. What was great about afterwards, he looked at Alcaraz and he said, Man, you never give up. And Alcaraz said, Spanish never say die. And, and Djokovic looks at him with a surprised smile. He goes, Don't I know it? Which is it that's the Djokovic that's starting to grow on me a little bit. Medvedev earned his spot in the final, right? He beat Alcaraz. Alcaraz was not playing brilliantly, but again, the best players. Djokovic didn't play brilliantly and he still beat Ben Shelton. I don't even think he played brilliantly in the final and he still beat Medvedev. The best players win when they're not playing well.
0: But I think of it, I'm 48 and I think of tennis in my lifetime. And there is always three, four, maybe five guys at a time that I'm speaking of men's tennis right now. And I would honestly say that, and we can talk more when we get to the women, that there's been like eras, there's like the Steffi Graf era, then there was Martina Hingis era, then there was the Serena era, and in it's a couple of eras for her, because you had a couple of people here or there. But there always seemed to be a dominant player.
1: Oh, on the women's yeah. Tour.
0: Whereas the men, there was a collection.
1: There was always two or three yeah.
0: at the top. Yeah. There's two. Yeah. There's honestly, there's two. And one of them, I think, is a despicable human being. <laughs> that happens to be the best one right now. So I think that's where part of the frustration with men's tennis is. Look, I take nothing away for Djokovic. Go win. He's one of the greatest athletes of all time. He has dominated his sport in a way that nobody ever has. He's probably going to thankfully pass Margaret Court so we can stop talking about that racist old lady. But he's earned that. And hes I don't expect him to lose. But I just don't know what the hell is wrong with this sport that they just can't develop people.
1: That's what I'm saying. There's... They talked about the lost generation, which was like the Grigor Dimitrov generation, the guys who are about 30 now. You talk about like Tsitsipas and Zverev and Medvedev's kind of part of that generation, but again, he's better than those guys. Is that another lost generation? Do we have two lost generations in the wake of the big three? Yeah, maybe. Now, Alcaraz is a generational talent, right? I think Holger Roon is going to be very good. I think Ben Shelton has the potential to be very good.
0: If he's a little crybaby like this, though, that's what I mean. Does he have the between his
1: defense? In his defense, it is his dad that's been whining about it, not him. I'm not going to hold Novak Djokovic responsible for every asinine thing his father does. I'm not going to hold Ben Shelton responsible for every asinine thing his father does. Still a little unseemly to me. But like I said, I also, the whole. Openly mocking your opponent on court doesn't like I said, it doesn't morally offend me, but when you're doing it against Djokovic, I just don't think yeah, it's a good that's, idea. No, that's just
0: that's just stupid. I mean, right. it's just
1: Yeah, you're just poking the bear at that point. Why would you do that? So anyway, I thought well, that was a little silly.
0: But let me get to something a little bit happier. I did want to say though before because I checked it, but Djokovic straight sided everyone, except in the third round, dear.
1: Laszlo Jarrett, who is Dang. another Serbian, took two sets two, off. No, he
0: took the first two sets. Yeah. And yeah. then 6-1, 6 I turned that
1: match on toward the end of the second set. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening?
0: So I don't know what the hell happened so there. So Laszlo <laughs>
1: Jarrett can play, right? But again, it's one of those things about if if these slams were best of three for the men, would the big three have more or less? Less. I think less yeah. because I think it's easier to knock them out of a best of three match than a best of five.
0: It's finishing up the men's tournament here. What else of note was other than not getting the Alcaraz Djokovic match that we wanted and what so else happened? that had was a- two
1: prominent. Re- so we're a little bit coming into maybe a little bit of a renaissance of American men's tennis. We already talked about Ben Shelton. Francis Tiafo came into this tournament in the top 10 so did Taylor Fritz. You have Tommy Paul, I think, made the quarters. No, he made the fourth round. Tommy Paul made the fourth round, also lost to Ben Shelton. Basically, Djokovic's half of the draw was a gauntlet of Americans. It was almost guaranteed he was going to play an American in the semifinal. So there's that. We had Chris Eubanks do well at Wimbledon. There's this crop of American players coming up. We had two big I say big. These things are all relative. One of them is big in the literal sense. Two big American men retire at this tournament. So Jack Sock retired and has now turned pro in pickleball. God bless.
0: I saw this headline that said, studies show that pickleball is worse for you than crack, cocaine, alcoholism, and playing with loaded firearms combined. So. <laughs>
1: Now Sock has, he's, I think he's about to have his first kid. He doesn't want to travel as much. And probably Pro Pickleball gave him a crap ton of money. So fine, whatever. Farewell to Jack Sock. I wish him well. The big retirement, though, was John Isner, who's been on the tour for. So John Isner was University of Georgia, NCAA number one, six foot ten or something like that. He
0: changed the game of tennis. That's
1: what I'm going to talk (laughs) about in a minute, right? So John Isner's final match fittingly ended in a fifth set tiebreaker. And John Isner is the reason that we have final set tiebreakers at all four slams. It used to be that only the US Open did final set tiebreakers at the slams. The rest of them all played advantage sets in the, in the last set, which meant that you had to win by two games. That resulted in the famous 70-68 in the fifth set match that he played with Nicholas Mahu at Wimbledon. But the one that I think really made them change the rule was Isner this time on the losing end of a 26-24 fifth set with Kevin Anderson in a Wimbledon semifinal, a match that went on so long that it delayed the second semifinal, which was a Djokovic-Nadal final, that went into the following day and delayed the start of the women's final. John Isner delayed the start of the women's final with his inability to break serve. Okay? This man, is the very next year is the year that they introduced the tiebreakers at Wimbledon. Right? Now, the rule was a little bit different than it is now. It was a get to 12-all and then do a final set tiebreaker then of which Federer happened to be on the losing end of the very first one of those. Yeah, so John Isner, I always thought, was the bizarro Andy Roddick, right? Roddick, American tennis, big serve, big forehand, but developed into a better player as time went on and was in the top 10 for, I think, nine years in a row. Pretty impressive achievement, made five major finals, won one of them. John Isner was in the top 20 for over 10 years in a row, I think maybe even more than that, had a bigger serve, an adequate forehand, and nothing. I'm not trying to throw shade on John Isner, but not a whole lot else to his game.
0: No, but because of that big serve, he got all the attention. Absolutely. And
1: you here's the thing about tennis. If you the way it's scored, if you win every point you serve and your opponent wins every point they serve, nobody ever wins. Hence 70 68. John Isner was really good at holding serve and he was six foot 10. So the serve was coming at you like a cannon. Like I said, I always think of him as the taller and slightly worse version of Andy Roddick. Maybe that's selling Andy Roddick a little short, but maybe, but no, John Isner made his mark on American tennis. He was the top ranked American for a long time during a particularly fallow period of American tennis. And I wish him all the best.
0: Was there anything else? Except
1: for his preferred political well, candidates. God.
0: I guess I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna ask you two questions here to just close out the year for the men. And yes, I know there's still more tennis, but if John McEnroe's not calling it, why is anybody gonna watch it?
1: The advent of <laughs> tennis in Saudi Arabia is happening.
0: We're gonna we'll talk about all that at the end here. But first, John Isner, is he a hall of famer? No. And Jack
1: Sock might be for his doubles career. Oh, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah. <laughs> And then the other question is.
1: Maybe for his pickleball
0: career. A year from now, who's the number one men's player in tennis?
1: Either Djokovic or Alcaraz.
0: Which one? I'm going to go back a year from now and look at it.
1: Here's the thing about Novak Djokovic. He learns from his defeat. The reason I'm not surprised that he went out and beat Medvedev pretty easily is he would have been studying the film from two years ago. Right. Alcaraz beat him at Wimbledon. Didn't beat him again. Didn't beat him in Cincinnati, right?
0: That was the only other bite at the apple he had.
1: Yeah, but and again, that's a three-set. Sure,
0: wasn't there Wimbledon a five-set?
1: Yeah, yeah. But he still won it. Djokovic learns from his defeats, and he'll be studying Alcaraz because he knows that that is his big obstacle. And I think Djokovic wants to get to thirty slams.
0: You don't think we're going to be sitting here a year from now saying, "How in the holy hell did Rafael Nadal win the calendar year slam?"
1: Here's the thing about Rafa, you don't count him out. Yeah. <laughs> you can't count, count him out. Slams.
0: Yeah, that's right. And it's Hit. in Paris. So they'll be playing that They'll be rolling... playing out
1: Roland Garros. Mm, yeah. yeah. That's going to be a weird stretch in the calendar because you'll have Roland Garros, then Wimbledon, then the Olympics, and then the U.S. hardcore season. So I you're going to go clay, The Olympics grass, are
0: after clay. Wimbledon.
1: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Clay, grass. Oh, oh clay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hardcore. Yeah. I
0: see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it would be the greatest retirement of any person in the history of any sport ever.
1: The one big title that Novak Djokovic doesn't
0: have. He doesn't have the Olympic medal. We and maybe shall...
1: he'll be playing doubles with Lazlo Jera.
0: We is, is he also? Yeah, <laughs> the they, they do have the same flag. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> Hello, all. This is RD. I wanted to talk to you guys about another podcast that I do work on called High Heels in Politics. It's hosted by Marianne Christie, who I work with here in Southwest Ohio. And Marianne, she interviews a lot of influential people. In Ohio, she's interviewed uh, a lot of political people that are influential. But for those of you outside of the state, She's also interviewed people like Susie Chapstick Chaffee, a former Olympic skier who was the face of Chapstick for the 1970s and 1980s. It's really interesting to listen to that one because she talks about her struggles as a woman in the Olympics, but then how she used her celebrity and her attractiveness in order to get more rights for amateur athletes, which led us today to things like the NIL. Also, Susie was very instrumental in Title IX, which we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of. But it's not all just seriousness. Marianne has also interviewed the Naked Cowboy, the New York City icon that's been out there. Simon Leese, who a lot of you may know if you've ever seen The People vs. Larry Flint. He was the guy that arrested Larry Flint. He also arrested Jerry Springer when Jerry Springer was a member of the Cincinnati City Council here. So I encourage you guys go to Spotify, Google, Apple, go search High Heels in Politics, follow, subscribe the show. Marianne comes out with a new one every week and... It's an incredibly great conversation. And if you're interested or know anybody that may be on high heels in politics, just go to the contact page and talk to us. So let's get back to the conversation. Okay, Tina, everything I said about how unpleasant the men's champion is, I'm going to go exactly opposite now and say how pleasant the women's champion is.
1: Yeah, she threw a little shade <laughs> at the haters during her during her victory speech. Good for
0: yeah. 19-year-old Coco Goff. And I, I'm going to give my view, then I want to hear what you say. Why am I and so many other people going, oh, finally, she lived up to the hype? 19.
1: This is what I said. <laughs> yes. I believe I've been saying this.
0: <laughs> I saw this thing of teenagers that have won the U.S. Open. And it was her, I think Steffi Graf.
1: Andreescu, um, Raducanu.
0: And then they had Tracy Austin. Monica Sellis. Yeah, Tracy Austin twice. And she had a a nervous breakdown because of the, again, talk about somebody changing the sport, didn't they?
1: Capriotti made the semis at 14.
0: Coco Gauff, why is it that there has been, and I'm not saying just from a pressure standpoint, but why is it that it feels like about time with her?
1: Because it's been four years. We just, some people in the hype machine just forget that she was 15 the first time you saw her play on the tour.
0: But she was that good, though.
1: Yeah. So I distinctly remember that run in 2019 Wimbledon. I think she played Venus in the first round. And I remember being, I used to watch a lot of tennis with my dad. And I remember watching her play a third round match against Polona Herzog, which you don't know who that is. So she was playing a third round match against Polona Herzog, was down the set and gritted it out and beat Polona Herzog. Made the fourth round at Wimbledon in her very first time there. And, Grass usually for most players takes some time to get used to. For some reason, Americans tend to take to it pretty easily. I don't know what that's about. And a lot of the French players also. But yeah, no, so Coco was 15 and made quite a splash, right? Ben Shelton making the quarters at the Australian Open like two weeks after getting a passport. And she's been steadily rising, made the finals at Roland Garros last year. We, I think we've talked about it, that there's a Her forehand is... We talked about Alcaraz and Ferrero saying that he was only at about 60% and you can see where Alcaraz needs to improve. Goff similarly is this good and you can see where she needs to improve. Yeah, I mean it feels like a finally because you've been waiting for four years, but you've been waiting for four years because she was so young when she came out. And Goff also does not read like a 19-year-old. She has a calm, quiet maturity about her that makes her feel a little bit older than 19 anyway.
0: First off, on her way there, she beat Ostapenko, who was on her weird-ass revenge tour or something, (laughs) who had knocked out the number one, (laughs) knocked out Svantec the match before, and then golf beat her. My
1: favorite Ostapenko stat is that at one point, she had won seven matches at Roland Garros and had lost seven matches at Roland Garros. And all seven matches she won were the year that she won the tournament, and she had never made it out of the first round any other time. Ostapenko is, I think John Wertheim referred to her as tennis's great chaos agent, and she is. And she's. if Ostapenko's on my TV, I will turn it on and watch because her facial expressions alone make it worth the watch. But let's talk about Ostapenko for a minute. So number one, Iga Number one seed. Who was
0: absolutely destroying people. I think everything was zero, one.
1: Yeah. Iga does that anyway, right? There's the Iga's Bakery meme for a reason that she's bageling and breadsticking her way through tournaments. Ostapenko, I believe, was the last player to beat Iga Shriantek before she became number one. And then she became number one, started mowing people down. And they asked Ostapenko, and Ostapenko was like, I know how to beat her. And she did. Like she lost the first set and then came out, won the second set. And then almost bageled the queen of bagels, right? Be- beat her 6-1. In the. Now, I-, I will say that was disappointing from Shriantek. She didn't show a lot of fight in that third set, which, again, is disappointing to me. But Ostapenko hits the ball so hard and creates such crazy angles that it's a high-risk, high-reward brand of tennis. And when the balls go in, she can beat anybody. Balls don't always go in two matches in a row. And that's what happened with golf. But golf, you have to have the presence of mind to, to deal with it, to know she's going to hit screaming winners by, by you that you can't do anything about and just let it go and reset and play the next point.
0: Let's talk about who golf beats, Sabalenka. She's the number two player in the world.
1: She's number one now.
0: Or yeah. Because, because
1: it, yeah. coming into this tournament, if Sabalenka made it farther than Chiantek, she was going to be number one.
0: So again, this isn't one and of those situations that, where like Wimbledon, you had somebody who was un, unseated make it to the end and right. that in women's tennis it seems more now, often
1: now has been playing very good tennis since Wimbledon i think she made yes, the Yes, she did
0: football. a golf beater i think in the one of the rounds uh, but you have Sabalenka uh, who came out and won the first set against golf. it was it was a situation where She had to do it the hard way. She had to beat some big Titans and she won. She took it.
1: We were talking during the break that she beat Wozniacki during Wozniacki's comeback. And let's, should we talk about Brad Gilbert for a minute? Yeah, go ahead. After Goff's first round loss to Kennan at Wimbledon. And again, Kennan played one of the greatest matches (laughs) that I've ever seen her play. And this is a person that has won a Grand Slam title. So I don't think Goff played badly. But I think after that, she said, you know what? I need a new coach. And they hired Brad Gilbert. And Gilbert's track record is pretty impressive, right? Coached Andre Agassi to a U.S. Open title. Coached Andy Roddick to a U.S. Open title. Has worked with Andy Murray before. He's got a very good pedigree. And since hiring Brad Gilbert, Coco has lost one match. She's played four tournaments and won three of them.
0: Yeah, because she won the Cincinnati tournament. She won
1: D.C. She lost in Canada. She won Cincinnati. And then she won the U.S. Open. Both Cincinnati champions won the U.S. Open this year, which is not that common. It's not that common? Yeah. I don't want to give too much credit to Brad Gilbert, right? But one of the things that Andy Roddick said is that Gilbert takes complex things and makes them simple. And that is his talent as a coach. Gilbert famously wrote this book called Winning Ugly. And remember how I said that the thing that Alcaraz maybe was missing against Medvedev is, I'm not playing great tennis. How do I still win? And all great champions, you've seen Djokovic do it. You've seen Federer do it. Maybe not as much, but you've seen Nadal do it. When they are not playing their best tennis, they still find a way to win points. They're good at adapting. They're good at thinking things through. They're good at changing and figuring out what they need to do to beat the particular opponent that's in front of them because tennis is about matchups. And I think that is the skill that Brad Gilbert teaches, that he teaches you how to use all the tools you have to put pressure on your opponent. The fun thing about the Wozniacki match is that Gilbert's been coaching Coco, you're fitter than everybody. If you make this physical, you can outlast anybody, right? The problem with Wozniacki Wozniacki's been gone for a couple of years, had a couple of kids, doesn't look like it. She's wearing that cat suit, which I think is a flex. I still look like this. This is a woman that ran the New York City Marathon for fun. You're not going to outrun Caroline Wozniacki. You're not going to tire her out. Gilbert was, we now have on-court coaching and it's mic'd so you can hear what the coaches are saying. Gilbert was telling Coco to do that. And at some point you just heard Coco say, stop talking, please stop talking. And then did the opposite, started shortening points against Wozniacki and won. That takes a lot of presence of mind. When I say she's mature beyond 19, it's that kind of thing. This, I think that I know how to win this match. So I'm going to tune you out and I'm going to go with my idea instead of being overly reliant on the coach. Cheers to Coco Goff. I didn't think she could do it without fixing her forehand. But I guess one of the things that one of the one of the things that maybe Brad Gilbert brought to the table is teaching you how to use that forehand properly. Because golf, great serve, is probably one of the fastest people I've ever seen on a tennis court and sublime backhand and good all-around court sense and, and won that match. Let's talk about Sabalenka, though, for a minute. Sabalenka is number one. She's very good. But there's no plan B there's no plan b. Coco plan b. Maybe even plan c. There are a couple of different ways that she can win points and she knows it and she's got to fig and she can figure out what is the right way to play. Sabalenka her only plan is to hit through you. And she's good enough that will win her a lot of matches. But it didn't win her this one. It stopped working during the second set. And she didn't have any way to adjust, and I think that's she's number one. And to her credit, she said she wanted to beat Ega to be number one. She didn't want to become number one without beating her, and I get that. But no plan B. That's not. That's why she's. That's why she didn't win that tournament.
0: You talked about the American men. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the American women. They're showing up, and I, I'm going to start on an unfortunate tale. But look. I know we said this about Wimbledon. If Venus Williams wants a wants a slot, you give her a slot. But it's looking embarrassing now.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Okay, that
0: hurts your legacy.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, you're Venus Williams. Yeah. What do you care about? <laughs> I get
0: it, but it's it just doesn't look good. It, I
1: I agree. I I don't want to watch that Venus Williams play. Mm-hmm. So.
0: But the rest of the American women had a pretty decent show, and American woman won the entire thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's Jess Pagoulas, whose family is in very unfortunate news right now about racial stuff said in the NFL. I'm not putting that on her. I'm just saying the Pagula name hasn't been... I have
1: not heard that, Oh, but okay. yeah, yeah.
0: There's a... Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Okay. To their credit, they denied it, because unless you're Elon Musk, who's going to come out and say, yeah, I said that. But... <laughs> She's number three player in the world. Coco
1: Goff's doubles partner. They yeah. almost, I think they made the semifinal.
0: The rest of the American women, they're a pretty mean, good tournament.
1: Pagula actually had a bad tournament because. Didn't P- she make the quarters or something? I think she made the round of 16. Because Pagula famously has a quarterfinal problem. She makes a quarterfinal and then doesn't win them.
0: She lost in round 16 to Madison Keys. Oh, yep. God, she got killed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. And Pagula usually plays to her ranking. If she's ranked. To make but, the quarterfinals, she's usually... Yeah, make isn't the
0: Madison Keyes, though? Is, doesn't she, like, once every eight tournaments or whatever makes some huge run? Yeah, so so Madison <laughs> Keyes
1: is somebody I always root for because I the talent is there. She's, again, though, she's maybe a little bit like Sabalenka. There's plan A and there's plan 1A. Plan A is hit it hard. Plan 1A is hit it harder. But Keys has easy power in a way that Sabalenka looks like she's muscling the ball. Keys doesn't. It's just, like, perfect rotation and mechanics, and she just hits the crap out of the ball. No, uh, Keys made the semis and lost a heartbreaker. Lost, a, She bageled Sabalenka in the first set and then lost the second two sets in tiebreak and served for it in the second set up 5-3 and was understandably in tears at her press conference afterwards. And I want to tell her, you know what, Maddie? That match was lost on the thinnest of margins. You've shown that you can compete here. And I know people always say, take the positives from the losses and... I'm sure it's very hard to do that, but she should be very proud of the way she played. However, mm. your French Open finalist made the semis, mm-hmm. having a healthy season. Finally, <laughs> it is going deep in slams, and really happy for her. The other American woman who made a little bit of a slas- splash, local Mason High School graduate Peyton Stearns, had a pretty good tournament. Made
0: the the round of 16.
1: Fourth round, yeah, mm-hmm. and is now into the top fifty. So mm-hmm. good for her.
0: And then the last woman I want to talk about, I ask you if you have anything else, is after Wimbledon, Anja just absolutely broken. She came out in this tournament, and when I looked at all the, they were all three setters, some tie breaks, and then just crapped out in the round of 16.
1: Did you ever see any of those matches? No, put, I did not. She looked like death warmed over.
0: Oh, that's right. You told me that. She
1: was very clearly she, ill.
0: She had the Taylor version of COVID that I have that it kept, Testing negative, but <laughs> it's
1: <laughs> something like that. Yeah. I, they never, really or it's said, a
0: new disease. They never know.
1: really said what it was, but they were checking her oxygen levels and she was clearly having some kind of respiratory problem. And even after her matches, they were interviewing her and she was like hacking up a lung while they were interviewing her. So I guess you could say it's a disappointing tournament because she made the final last year. But you can also say
0: <laughs>
1: if you can feel <laughs> yeah. and look like that and still make the fourth round at a major. Yeah. You're obviously doing something right.
0: Okay. I got two of the similar questions again. Venus Williams, is she a Hall of Famer?
1: Venus Williams won seven majors. I don't, I'm
0: kidding. Five women. <laughs> it's more, you should be yelling at me more for using the same question I used for John Isner on Venus Williams. But okay. So a year. You from- know what?
1: Venus Williams would give you the mother of all side eyes <laughs> for
0: yes. that. Yes. I would deserve it. <laughs> Who's the number one w- woman a year from now?
1: Ooh, I don't know. I think it's probably a three-way race. This is maybe recency bias talking, but I think it's a three-way race between Golf, Sabalenka, and Swiandka. Golf went
0: deep in where in France and... last year. I think she lost in the quarters this year. Okay, you. But teased... again,
1: since Wimbledon, she's played four tournaments and lost one match.
0: Yeah. So you teased it in the first half, and something I wanted to discuss here is the Saudis. This is the next sport they're targeting. Yeah. And we, it's a much, much bigger discussion. But I know the Seattle Seahawks are about to be for sale in the NFL. And everybody's like, oh, Jeff Bezos is going to buy him. But I'm like, what if the Saudis come in and say, we'll give you $20 billion? But that's here football. That's whatever. They went after golf because golf was a global sport. yeah, And they could get a global market with and, it. And there's Also, also golf's no, very big in China. There, tennis.
1: There's also, I think, sports like golf and tennis don't have...
0: They don't have the governing bodies. Ownership groups and governing
1: bodies and players unions, right? The players are all independent contractors and yeah.
0: So So, what's
1: going to happen? The ATP a few years ago started this thing called Next Gen Finals, where I think you have to be under a certain age and it's the top players under a certain age and they invite them to do. So the tour finals is for both tours is always the top eight players. They do a round robin and then a knockout. Stage so the ATP started doing like the top eight young players that don't qualify for the regular ATP tour finals because Alcaraz is probably young enough to qualify for the the yeah, next gen finals, ridiculous! But, but he's gonna be yeah. in the regular finals, right? I'm anyway, sure they, golf
0: could also qualify.
1: They don't do WTA. oh, they okay, all right, it's no, just, no, right sorry, yeah, yeah it's just ATP next gen finals, and they're doing that in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. All the way through the U.S. Open, the chatter in the background was, "We don't know where the WTA Finals are being held, because they had a ten-year agreement to do them in Shenzhen, and they're not doing them in Shenzhen."
0: I was like, I was just looking at the news, and just yesterday, the women are playing in China right now, or there's a tournament in China. Right they now. are, but okay. the
1: finals, oh, okay. the WTA Finals, are not in Shenzhen. So there was all this talk about where are they going to be, and the Saudis wanted to have it in Riyadh, and. Then there was this whole... So everybody's like, oh, my God, are they going to go to Riyadh? And then the Czech Republic said, do it in Prague. We will match the Saudi bid. Do it in Prague. Now, there were some issues with whether Belarusians and Russians can get visas. And Blanca, the number one player in the world, is Belarusian. I think they had worked it out. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they announced that they were going to do it in Cancun. Again, this is like six weeks before. These players... Billie Jean King Cup is going on right now, which is like the women's equivalent of Davis Cup. These play... You cannot do this to the players. Tell them six weeks in advance where the tournament's going to be. It's ridiculous. But anyway, so it's going to be in Cancun this year. And supposedly, the reason that they did not do it in Prague... Because Prague would be a great place. Think about how many good... Well, say, yeah,
0: how many Czech Republic... How many
1: good yeah. Czech players there are, particularly in the women's tour, Right. Prague would be a great place. They, one of the COVID tournaments, when they couldn't travel as much, they did it in Ostrava, and it was great. People loved that tournament. And they always write the name of the tournament on the court, and for that, they had done Ostrava with three exclamation points afterwards. <laughs> it was awesome. Apparently, the reason, and this is rumor, that they didn't do it in, in the Czech Republic, is that the Czechs wanted a long-term deal for it, and they're still hoping to go to Saudi Arabia next year. I hope that is not the case. You always say you live long enough to, you either die here or you live long enough to become the villain.
0: Well, Harvey Dent said that
1: in The well, Dark
0: Knight. So, okay. okay. You always, I, I want, you I always want to, quote it. I want to give credit.
1: You always quote it. I'm extraordinarily disappointed that Billie Jean King is entertaining the idea of doing WTA tournaments in Saudi Arabia. And Martina and Chrissy have both come out very strongly against it, as have a number of active WTA players. and And they're... People are saying, I sound like Donald Trump, people are saying that the reason that they didn't do it in Saudi Arabia this year was because of the public outcry. Hopefully we don't normalize it. Hopefully we can sustain the public outcry. But yeah, supposedly the reason it didn't wind up in Prague is because they wanted a multi-year deal and they were afraid of pissing off the Saudis if they did that. It's the whole thing is just. No, it is. How how do you you're going to have WTA finals, right? Because we're sports washing. They're gonna let the women play in their normal clothes. Yes,
0: and it's gonna be a bunch of and it's oil gonna be shakes. a bunch of
1: oil shakes yeah. watching. Yeah. with no women.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: What, how? What is? What? What? How? And how, whoever
0: what? will say we're not gonna show the crowd? That's what they'll just do. They'll yeah. It's no. It's disgusting. It's gross. It's yes. It's terrible.
1: The other thing I wanted to mention, it was apparently just atrociously. Bad weather-wise.
0: Oh yeah, it was uh, it was 120 degrees, humidity, uh, just terrible.
1: Medvedev, when it was this bad in Tokyo during the Olympics, famously said, "If I die on court, who's going to take responsibility?" I love him so much, by the way, my hands down my favorite player. But during this tournament, he said, "Somebody's going to die," and then what's going to (laughs) happen, right? And it's at some point, it's not pleasant for the fans either. And then during the semifinal between Goff and Muhov, the play was stopped for like over 45 minutes because of some climate protesters, one of whom had glued his feet to the cement. And
0: now we're all taking care of the climate. No,
1: but anyways. Remember how I said that Goff just does seem mature beyond her years? Somebody, they asked her about during a press conference and she said, basically, was I thrilled that they did it during my semifinal? No. But I can't be angry about it because it's a subject that I'm concerned about also. And if that's the way that they wanted to get their message out, then, again, that's a it's an incredibly mature and measured response for that. Yeah.
0: All right. If people need to find you to learn how to beat Jeopardy on the Alexa, how are they going to find it's you? It's not
1: really that hard to be Jeopardy on the Alexa. <laughs> oh,
0: I can't do it. But uh, I'm not talking to you. All right.
1: <laughs> you should leave that in.
0: I'm going to, but... <laughs> So where are they going to find you?
1: You can find me on the app formerly known as Twitter for now. Still. I don't know how much longer. Yeah. A guy who dead
0: in. names his transgender child wants us all to call him <laughs> by whatever he's <laughs> changing into. Anyways. That. Yeah.
1: That's pretty much it for now. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'll land somewhere else.
0: I'd say you find this podcast over on threads right now. Okay. Still waiting on my, I'm not famous enough to have my blue sky invitation yet, which another podcaster I know is about as big as me got one. So damn it blue skis blue ski
1: yeah. jack dorsey is a st louis and tell him yeah you're... I should, I should.
0: anyway so yes with all that being said we thank you for years anything else that you may use to listen to the ex-millennial man podcast remember we're going to be here every saturday for free wherever you find your fine podcasting shows we do have first watch rewatch i fixed my google issue you can go over look for public forum productions or first watch rewatch i Next week, this podcast will also host that feed too, just because I'm too lazy to do two next week, and it actually comes out on the same day. So look for that, and then we'll be hitting in towards the end of the year. Go out, enjoy, and what's your next tennis tournament? The not pro- the Cancun one or whatever.
1: The ATP. No, there. The men have another thousand coming up. The indoors in Paris. The so women have another one coming up in China. All right. There's still plenty tennis keeps going until November. There's well, still plenty of tennis left if you have want to. Have some champagne
0: it. with some kumpao chicken and toast your favorite athlete. So, good. And we'll talk, well we'll talk to you at the end of January. Yep. All right, thanks. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.